Hebrews 13, God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Therefore, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mortal men do to me? On Saturday, December 26, 2015, Edward George Dobson went home to be with his Lord. Though his journey was filled with joys and sorrows, difficulties and triumphs, through it all, one constant was true. The Lord God was his helper. Never did God leave Ed. Never did God forsake Ed. And God has now fulfilled what he has promised. He has brought Ed safely home. He has healed him in every possible way. He has given him eternal life and filled him with eternal joy. And so we gather to celebrate this God who's done so much for Ed. We also gather to acknowledge that Ed was a very public figure who through his books, videos, speaking, and travels impacted countless people all over the world. The outpouring of condolences and notes of gratitude of so many, both in West Michigan and from around the world, bear testimony to the enormous impact that Ed had. And so we gather to thank God for that as well. But more than that, for many of us, Ed was not a public figure, but our pastor, a spiritual mentor, a friend, an example of one who lived like Jesus. He was a source of much humor and joy, given the fact that he possessed one of the world's strangest and most distinctive laughs. <laughs> it's in this category that I find myself. I met Ed almost 30 years ago when uh, he first came to Calvary Church. And I had the opportunity just a couple of months ago to travel to Liberty University. And there I was reminded that Ed left Liberty to come to Calvary. And at Liberty, he had an enormous impact as well. But God had called Ed to come and be the pastor of Calvary Church. And I had the opportunity just a couple of months ago to thank him uh, for the courage to follow the Lord's leading uh, because other than my wife and my parents, no one is more responsible for me being in ministry than Ed Dobson. From befriending me when I was in high school, to walking with me in college when I was discovering the joy of helping people come to know Jesus, supporting me as I went to seminary, giving me an internship here at the church, taking me with uh, him uh, to Israel on a tour, hiring me to come and work with him, being an incredible mentor and an encouragement, modeling what it means to live like Jesus, to follow after Jesus, teaching me so much about what it means to be in ministry. And so we've gathered here this morning because for some of us, many of us, uh, we feel the loss of Ed Dobson very deeply and very personally. It's a great loss. But even more than that, for his extended family, for his sister May and husband David, 
his sisters-in-law Pat and Pauline, his grandchildren, Lucy, Jonas, and Francis, his grandchildren Zora and Daisy and Dashiell, his children Kent and Mandy, Heather and David, and Daniel, and especially his wife Lorna. You've lost a husband, a father, a grandfather, and a brother. I remember one time Ed brought Jerry Falwell to Calvary Church. He said he wanted the church to get to know Jerry Falwell, the person, because behind every public figure is a real person. Ed was your husband, your father, your grandfather, and your brother. And in his strengths and his weaknesses, he left an impact on you far greater than any will ever know. Ed's death leaves a void and a loss that can only truly be filled at the great resurrection when God puts an end to death and we are reunited with those who have died in Christ. So we've gathered together this morning to offer our sympathies to you. To sum up what Ed's life meant to all of us then, I find the words of Marilyn Robinson helpful when she writes, I'm writing this in part to tell you that if you ever wonder what you've done in your life, and everyone does wonder sooner or later, you have been God's grace to me. For all of us, some in small ways and some in large, Ed has been God's grace to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of Ed Dobson. God, we thank you for the impact that he has had on each one of us, some in small ways, some in great. And Lord, if we were to tell all of the ways and all of the stories, oh Lord, there simply wouldn't be enough time. But God, you know them all and you caused all of them to happen. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. God, I pray that during this service, the spirit of all comfort and all grace would preside. I pray that your spirit would bring comfort to our hearts. For those of us who are grieving deeply, Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice encouraging us in our grief. Jesus, for those of us who feel this loss, I pray that your love and your strength and your sympathy would be our portion and our shield. God, I thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted. God, I thank you, uh, God, that you are pleased uh, to, 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 to give Ed to us and to allow us to feel his impact. And so, Lord, I pray, uh, God, your special blessing on his family, uh, Lord God, and those of us who are his friends and his Christian family. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This portion of scripture that the family has chosen to read this morning <clears throat> It's probably one of the most familiar in all of scripture. Um, since penned by David, it's been copied, translated, studied, memorized, and even sung by millions of people. Little children recite it in Sunday school proudly. Adults pray it in times of joy and great gratitude. And we even whisper it in life's hard, hardest moments. Somehow, this scripture, though written by one man, 
has been adopted by so many of us as our very own. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still and quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me right in the presence of mine enemies. My cup, my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. stand as we sing.
Ed is like a brother to me. Why do I speak of him in the present tense? Because, according to no less an authority than Jesus of Nazareth, he who believes in me shall never die. And so, in a very real sense, Ed has not died. He lives, but now, in the presence of the Lord, he worshiped and faithfully served virtually all of his adult life. He was 14 when he and his family came to America from Northern Ireland. My wife and I owe our love for that country to him. How often he spoke of it, prompting us to go there and eventually to buy property and live there several weeks out of the year. It was funny to accompany Ed when he visited relatives and hear him revert to his former accent. Gobsmacked was one of my favorite lines. In the book we wrote together about the two kingdoms and what a pastor's relationship should be to each one, Ed spoke about the pressure he felt to get involved in causes and politics here in Grand Rapids. In what may have been his most powerful statement, he said, I believe in living my faith, not flaunting it. And living it, he did. He had African-American friends, gay friends, non-believing friends, because he was not known for condemning people, but rather for loving people. In this, he most reflected the life of his Savior who said he had not come to condemn the world, but to save it. I love to hear Ed preach, but sometimes he got his illustrations without having to study or translate Greek or Hebrew. One sermon was about hate, and he used his daughter Heather as an example. He said Heather hated broccoli and wondered why, because he said the broccoli had never done anything to her. I forgot the point he was trying to make, but I do remember the broccoli. Now a word about Lorna. We were in regular communication by email and phone as Ed's disease progressed. As a caregiver for my wife, who has medical challenges, I drew strength from her and I think she from me. Caring for one you love who is slowly dying is hard, too. Maybe not as hard as it is for the patient, but difficult and draining in its own way. Through it all, Lorna has exhibited the qualities of a faithful servant to her husband, and to the Lord. In the opening to his remarkably transparent and honest video called Ed's Story, Ed says, I love being a pastor. You get to walk with people in the best of times and in the worst of times. And over the years, I have helped with all sorts of people in all sorts of circumstances, and my joy has been to give them a sense of hope. Jesus has walked with Ed in the worst of times, and early on the morning of December 26th, he sent his angel to escort Ed to heaven. How do we know this? Because Jesus promised never to leave or forsake us, and he does not lie. The writer of Hebrews says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. For those believers who have left us in body, we do not mourn as people without hope. We mourn for our temporary loss of Ed's physical presence and fellowship, but we know we shall see Ed again because Jesus made it possible. He is our hope, and for those of us in Christ, he is our hope of glory. Perhaps the greatest tribute to Ed I've seen so far is found on his Facebook page. It is one of hundreds, perhaps thousands of similar examples. Writing from Escondido, California, Matthew Nash says, 
When we were living in Rwanda, I showed this short film of my friend Edward G. Dobson, and one of the students in my class was a professing atheist who ended up giving her life to Jesus because of his story. May peace rest with the Dobson family today as we grieve the passing of Ed into his Savior's arms. And so, as the song says, it's as though we see through clouded glass. Our eyes cannot see past this veil of tears, our present pain. This world can never comprehend a love that will not end, a life that always will remain. For there, beyond the edge of time, is wisdom so divine, the throne of truth, the shining way. And soon in majesty he'll come to take his people home. And in that bright and glorious day, we will see him as he is, the Father God so holy, the truth in endless glory. We will see him as he is, the wisdom of the ages, the one who died to save us. We will see him. In their parting, their last parting at Oxford, C.S. Lewis turned to his friend Sheldon Van Auken and said, you know, Christians never have to say goodbye. And so today, we don't say goodbye to Ed. We say, we'll see you later, because we shall all follow, some sooner than others, but all of us eventually. And please save us a place at the banquet table. I love you, Ed Dobson. My brother, my friend, your life has mattered to me and to so many others. What more could you ask of any life? Amen. 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 I am here to join with this people of faith, this family of faith, this celebration of faith, and we are declaring collectively God is on the throne. Amen. We may not understand it all, but I want to discuss with you briefly, I should say that to you, <laughs> the covenant between two brothers. The first meeting occurred when the initiator, meaning Ed Dobson, summons inner city pastors to come and to fellowship in a suburban setting. So the focus of the meeting was inner city pastors and a suburban pastor coming together to discuss ways in which we could do our ministry together. Well, I had to pray. <laughs> I had to pray. I asked of God to 
speak to my heart because I was suspicious. I was so suspicious because I didn't feel like we were doing that bad <laughs> on the other side of the tracks. <laughs> I was contented with old Dr. Watts and somebody in the back say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I was satisfied. But Ed said something that arrested our attention. And my suspicion started to fade away. The more Ed Dobson talked, the more the cloud of suspicion faded away. As a matter of fact, Ed was so honest. Racism, is it real? Ed said, yes. Can we, as blacks and whites, can we come together and make a difference in our communities? Ed's answer again was yes. So the Holy Spirit started moving. At the conclusion of the meeting, there was such positivity and suspicion was gone. And we were able to collectively form an organization that was called EEC, Emmanuel Empowerment Corporation. Man, we were tough. <laughs> we were tough. Somebody just reminded me this morning that we all had green jackets <laughs> and letters all over the jacket. We attended a couple of meetings together wearing the jacket. I'm, I still can't remember. You know, I kind of like to golf. And one of the meetings we were in Atlanta in the middle of winter. Nobody was going to the airport but Cliff Rose Jr. and his golf clubs. <laughs> we get down to Atlanta. I'm walking through the lobby of the hotel trying to find a golf course. I still can't remember if I was wearing the green jacket. <laughs> but I want to I wanna keep moving with you because the union of the two brothers, that's what's on my mind. Through our relationship, Ed was, or better yet, exposed, introduced, to the inner working of the black church. I said the, the inner working of the black church. All right. He, he proclaimed the gospel at Messiah during our annual Bible conference. He went on to proclaim God's word and truth in the Baptist Fellowship in Chain Lake District Association. Let me tell you, Ed loved preaching and teaching the word of God. Oh, my Lord. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it without taking up an hour. 
in the midst of an impressive and effective ministry, Ed Dobson one day was given a thorn in the flesh. Uh, Ed Dobson was given a physical challenge. Couldn't believe it. I can still see the picture of Ed sitting on the steps of this pulpit, his head in his hands, his arms resting on his lap, and he looked so overwhelmed. And he had announced at this church that he was stepping down as senior pastor. He wasn't stepping down from being a man of faith. He was not stepping down from loving God and loving God's word and loving God's people. But he was stepping down from being senior pastor at Calvary because God was beckoning for an Elijah but he had Elisha in the wing. Ed, Ed stood one day, I'm almost through. Ed stood one day at a session we were in and Ed said, this is after being diagnosed with ALS. Ed said, If the Lord calls me home and Cliff Rhodes is still alive, I would like for him to say a word. I listened because at that time, this disease was not showing up in my body. After he had made that announcement, I asked, could I make an announcement? And my announcement was, if the Lord calls me home, and Ed Dobson, if you are still alive, I want you to make sure to say something at my home going. Well, I guess I don't know who won. <laughs> Are you keeping up with me? I don't know who won. Absent from the body. Present. Hallelujah, somebody. Present with the Lord. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to stop. I'm not finished, but I'm going to stop, and we're going to view, because you know Ed had a sense of humor, and we're going to view some things right here, right now. May God bless you, and may God keep you. Keep us in your prayers. Keep us in your prayers. And you know we're praying for you.
Martha's here. She's praying. Messiah Church is here. We're praying. The community of Grand Rapids is represented all over here. We're praying with you. While Eddie's preaching was flawless perfection most of the time, he did have his moments. Well, you know, after a great message like that, what else can you say? But the fact that little Bo Peep has lost her sheep and doesn't know where to find them. What a tragedy. Leave them alone and they will come home, wagging their tails behind them. First of all, I would have you notice the problem. She lost her sheep. Then in the second place, I would like you to know the plan. She didn't know where to find them, so she left them alone. I'm telling you, that's what we need to do. We need to leave people alone. And that's the important thing in this world, to leave them alone. Then notice not only the problem and the plan, but notice the promise. They will come home. Not they might come home. Not they ought to come home. Not someday, somehow, they will come home. Notice the positive promise, they will come home. And then notice in the first place the peace that is promised, wagging their tails behind them. May I ask you, pray, where else would they wag their tails but that they would wag them behind them? And this indicates to us the wonderful peace when little Bo Peep brings all of her sheep all the way home. That's why I support TV 54. In fact, I enjoy many of the programs. James Kennedy, Charles Stanley, Chuck Swin... Garbage, not Chuck Swindoll. He's not on there. <laughs> That's why I support TV 54. In fact, I enjoy watching many of the programs on TV 54. Uh, Chuck... Garbage, I got that in my brain. All right, this is it. No more messing around. Okay. Hi. One more time. This is it. Two categories of people. Oh, I'm sorry. I had the wrong chapter. Chapter 3 of James. I was reading that and I thought, now what in the world does this have to do with what I just said? And my brain has been going around saying, now, how does that, f I mean, I read this this last week? Well, it, it, I made it sort of fit. But what I really wanted to say was James chapter 3. Here it is, James chapter 3. Whoa, I was sweating inside. Those of you who teach will understand that. I started reading it and I thought, Oh, I don't remember studying that at all this last week. And I kept looking down at it, but that's the verse. Well, it's got to fit. And I actually said a little prayer as I was reading it. Lord, help me to make this fit.
As I look out into this room, I see a lot of people who knew my grandpa in many different ways. You may have known him as a pastor, a friend, a colleague, a mentor, or a family member. Today, for all of us, is bittersweet. We are sad as we grieve the loss of an important person in our lives, but can also find a happiness in the memories and times we share with my grandpa. I know, and so do you, that grandpas are very special. Whether it's Bumpa, Opa, Papa, Grandpa, or Grandfather, we can all agree that the memories we share and the times we share are very important to us. And I would like to share some with you. Now, when you think of what you're going to say at a funeral, I can guarantee that Duck Dynasty doesn't come to mind. <laughs> However, in my case, it does. Duck Dynasty was something we watched together when it was difficult for my grandpa to physically do things with us, but it was just as special. When I was eight or nine, my brother and I would go play putt-putt with him and Nana, and he always won. Today, I am wearing my grandpa's favorite sweater, which as it was to him, is special to me. This sweater is over 50 years old and was given to him by his dad before he got into the Queen Elizabeth and came over to America when he was just 14 years old. My sister Frances is wearing a Manchester United pin and my brother a Manchester United scarf that belonged to my grandpa and represents his love for English Premier League soccer, which he was watching on the day he died. The best memory I have with my grandpa was when we visited the Giants Causeway in Ireland on a family trip. It was amazing to visit the places where he grew up and just to be there as a family. I remember visiting the school that he attended and the street that he lived on. Whether it was going on walks, swimming, playing soccer, visiting him in Ocean Reef, Florida, or playing around on his Toby machine that reads sentences you make aloud. All of these memories I am truly grateful for. Although I am sad that my grandpa is gone, his memories are still alive in me. And I think that it is best that he is now no longer suffering. It has been hard to watch my grandpa go through this disease, but it has also shown me that life isn't always picture perfect. Life is hard, and sometimes it ends sooner than you want it to. But I am choosing to focus on the good things and the good memories and the good times that I shared with my grandpa. I love you, grandpa. Thank you. I was going to take those stairs two at a time but I was afraid I'd fall and embarrass myself. My family and I started to attend Calvary in the spring of 1989. Basically, it was at the request of my son, Steve, who was already involved in the youth ministry here with Dan Kriegel and Gary McLean. In the fall of that year, I received a phone call I was seated at a desk, and the voice on the other end when I picked up the phone was Ed Dobson. He said, Jim, this is Ed Dobson. And he said something like, I don't know you, 
you don't know me, but we're looking for someone to fill some position at Calvary Church and wondered if you'd be willing to talk. I thought, yeah, sure, I'll talk. And so a few days later, I walked into his office downstairs. He stood to his feet, all five foot six, 130 pounds of him, and me at 6'2 and 200 pounds. <laughs> and he extended his hand, which was about the size of a catcher's mitt for a person who catches knuckleball pitchers. I mean, it was huge. And my little Minnie Mouse hand absolutely was enveloped in his. But at that moment, a God thing began to happen. It took Calvary about nine months to decide exactly what position they were trying to fill. Things haven't changed one bit. <laughs> but that was really the beginning of a 27-year working relationship and friendship that I cherish in a, in a manner I can't begin to describe. A relationship of admiration, respect, trust, and love. Ed and I shared so many experiences over the years. Some were really crazy. Some were very serious and sobering. Some were absolutely hysterical. We ate together. We planned together. We dreamt together. We laughed. We cried. We prayed. There's so many highlights, but Cliff has already referenced one of them. And I well remember the day that I had the privilege of sitting with Ed, and I think there were nine pastors from the inner city at that meeting. And little did we know what would come out of that gathering together. Some of those men are in heaven Bill Abney, Donnell Smith, others still around. Dante Venegas is in heaven, E.J. Parker. Maybe you don't know some of these names, but some of them you do. Robert Dean, Artie Lindsay, and Jerry Bishop joined us, and David May. We did spend that conference together in Atlanta. In fact, I reminded Cliff of that this morning. And I wanted to wear my jacket, my green jacket, but it's not at our home. It's up north. We had just an absolutely fantastic time together. We literally spent hundreds of hours together in meetings we had all kinds of dreams, plans, bakeries, radio stations, training centers, summer programs for youth. I, I don't know how much it was accomplished, but we sure had a good time. 
We had just an absolute wonderful time. And those friendships and relationships have spanned the years and continue to this day. Emmanuel Empowerment Corporation, thank God for that experience. Ed and I, uh, we disagreed on some things. He would frequently bring Notre Dame to the platform (laughs) in football, and I'm an avid University of Michigan fan. Fortunately, Ed quit talking about Notre Dame after a while for obvious reasons that Notre Dame wasn't very good. And it's a good thing that he was done being senior pastor after what the University of Michigan has just gone through, but things are going to get better. As good pastors, we visited. We often in the summer visited the Greens. Uh, Greens where there are fairways and sand bunkers. And we got to the point where we could uh, walk a course up on West River Road in about an hour and 15 minutes. So Ed would walk down to my office and say, what have you got planned for this afternoon? I said, nothing that can't be changed. He said, good, I'll see you too. (laughs) And Lucy, thanks. Talking about Duck Dynasty, we watched, he and I even recently watched way too many (laughs) Duck Dynasty episodes. But it was just a great experience. Laughed our way through all of them. For you Calvary people, you know, uh, we watched Ed climb a big stepladder and preach from the stepladder. You remember that? Uh, We watched him palm a full-size basketball in his big hands, and I preached the week afterwards, so I palmed the basketball too, only it was one of those little toy basketballs because I can't get my hands around a, a real one. Remember him preaching on the treadmill? Or perhaps you remember when he stepped into the offering plate to give a visual demonstration of what real sacrifice and giving is all about. He gave a report on the progress of the building using his hard hat. And then the day he fell into the kitty, filled kitty pool on the platform in his suit in the last service. I think, Phil, you had something to do with that. Ed told Lorna, and I want to respect his wishes, that he didn't want a bunch of people telling a whole lot of stories. And I'm not a bunch of people. I'm only one, so... (laughs) I want to share just a couple. They They may seem rather benign, rather innocuous. I mean, I could tell you some other stories that would keep you here for hours, and and I'd have to leave town, but... um, When I was being considered for the position here at Calvary during that nine-month period, uh, the board told Ed to go away with me for one day and just spend a whole day together so that he was confident that I was a person that he could work with. I met Ed here at the church about 8.30 in the morning. We drove to Kalamazoo. We ate lunch, I think, at 10.30. By noon, we were pretty much back home, and the day was over. (laughs) I mean, we agreed that we had fulfilled the responsibility, or at least it was close enough in our minds, and 
we had already decided, hey, this can work. And it did. Another occasion I recall, before Duba's was torn down, just across the street, Ed and I went out to lunch a lot. I had just returned to Calvary after being in Arizona for a couple of years, pastoring a church. And Ed said to me, I need to tell you something. He said, I'm experiencing some twitching in my body, and I really don't know what it's about. And I talked to someone about it, and that someone said, why don't you come see me, like, the next day? And that did. And the neurologist that he saw said, well, it could be something very serious, or it could be something its nothing at all. But I think you need to go to the U of M to get a, another opinion. And so several weeks later, Ed did. And uh, that's when he was diagnosed with ALS. At that point, so much changed. But I can honestly say 15 years later, out of it came a depth of relationships I'm sure family-wise, peer-wise, friendship-wise, that most all of us, if not all of us, will value the rest of our lives. Ed often camped on two thoughts. Love God. And he did. He loved God. He wanted to know God. He wanted to honor God. He wanted to serve God. He wanted to live a life that imitated Christ. And to the staff here, he constantly communicated, I want you to love the scriptures and to love the Christ of the scriptures. He encouraged the staff to know and love God and serve him and live for him. Love God. And Ed loved God. The other idea he camped on was love people. And he did. People of all kinds. Hurting people, marginalized people, disenfranchised people, young people, old people, wealthy people, poor people. He loved people. My wife, Denise, and I have both experienced the loss of a mate. Denise's husband, Ron, passed away very suddenly. And Ed and Lorna were there. My wife struggled with cancer for many, many years. It was a long, drawn-out process. And even though Ed was not any longer pastor of the church, and he was dealing with ALS himself. When my wife went to be with Christ, Ed and Lorna were there. Hundreds of us could give testimony to the fact that God used Ed in wonderful ways because he loved God and he loved people. 
Ed will be greatly missed. But our lives will be impacted forever. We are the richer for knowing Ed Dobson, but he's with Christ, which is better by far. I want to share a few thoughts about my life, marriage, and ministry with Ed. When I was in college, all I asked God for, if he gave me a husband, was one who loved him. I found this in Ed. But within the year of my making this request, when I felt I was falling in love with him, a graduate student working on his master's in Bible, he was struggling with his doubts about the existence of God, just the opposite of what I asked God for. He decided to work through his doubts and pressed on with the call to ministry, which he already felt. One of Ed's first jobs during college summers was waiting tables at a Christian camp. He soon learned about generosity or the lack of it from people who tipped. All through his life, he practiced tipping and giving to others generously, sometimes with sacrifice for people who needed help. Early in our marriage, we committed to one another that we would not tell jokes about being unfaithful and to not laugh at sinful behavior on TV or movies that would dull our hearts to the seriousness of our wedding vows. Ed was a balance of fairness when I was a rule keeper and expected the same from others. As a young pastor in the mountains of Virginia, he knew he was not equipped for marriage counseling. But when he couldn't avoid his first request for help, he just told the couple to read the Bible and obey it. Thirty years later, the husband called Ed in his office downstairs here at Calvary to thank him for his blunt advice and to thank the Lord that they had done what he said. They fell in love again and still had a happy marriage. Ed loved sports. Besides being a soccer player, you know he was from Ireland, where real football is the main sport, as it is throughout the world except in America. He also loved to play tennis, racquetball, and he ran a marathon on Grandfather Mountain in North Carolina when the attempts were in the 90s. Ed's hands were big. He could palm a basketball. Sadly, it was his hands that became weak first before his diagnosis of ALS. He was forced to quit playing soccer in 1999 when he decided he should quit playing with young men in a city league. He was kicked by what he described as an old slow guy and blew out his knee. Then we got into hiking, camping, and canoeing. As I remember our spiritual walk, he had a core belief that each person needs to grow spiritually on their own time frame. That belief taught me something about God's loving patience in my own struggles. Ed gently allowed my spiritual growth to take place with his support, but not with any demands. As a young immigrant, just 14 years old, Ed experienced loss and separation of relatives apart from his parents and his sister. He was also separated from his closest friends. Thank the Lord 
that through the generosity of some of our Calvary Church family, we were able to travel several times to Northern Ireland with our family so that he could establish those relationships, which we've tried to maintain. He was pleased that his father, a retired pastor, was able to share in the ministry here as a visitation pastor, mainly in hospitals, but also he conducted funerals, weddings, and sometimes filled the pulpit preaching, which he loved to do. Ed was 16 when he started college and missed much of his young adult life near his parents. He was able in their last years to make efforts to spend time with them. Our children and I also benefited from their living here in Grand Rapids. Ed sometimes skipped or left early or arrived late to board meetings at Calvary so he could watch our children's sports or other events. He loved his children and grandchildren, tried to keep current with their interests and activities, and in great sorrow felt the loss of playing with his grandchildren as he was weakened by the disease. His last obvious joy was watching a video on Christmas night of several grandkids telling the true meaning of Christmas. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. But he was absolutely God's match for me. I felt it was a privilege to serve and care for him. He's now whole, fully at peace with his Savior.
One of my most vivid memories of Ed, for which we always enjoyed a good laugh, was when I was uh, getting ready to graduate from seminary, and Ed invited me to come uh, to Calvary uh, to take a job, uh, do an internship here. Ed had started many years earlier, a very successful Saturday evening service. Hundreds of people came to faith through it. It was an amazing, huge, wonderful blessing. Uh, And Ed was looking for someone uh, to come and to preach at that service. He said to me, uh, we'll have you come preach on a Saturday night, uh, interview with the elders, but it's, it's mostly just a formality. Great. He says, I'll give you what you're supposed to preach on when we get closer to the time. Okay. So, uh, the time went by and it came time for me the week in which I was supposed to preach and I still hadn't heard from Ed. Ed was not really great with administrative details. That wasn't really his, uh, that wasn't really his passion. So uh, I was starting to get nervous and I was pretty stressed out. And so on Tuesday of that week, I called Ed and was like, um, I'm, I'm supposed to preach this Saturday night, right? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like, well, what am I supposed to preach? And I was like, well, I've been thinking about doing a two-part series on sex and love. Which one do you want to talk about? <laughs> I said, um, can I talk about love? <laughs> Great. So, I mean, I dove in and I, I, I worked hard and I studied and I tried to come up with really relevant uh, insights and really powerful things from God's word, just like Ed would have done. And uh, I really worked on this. And uh, I got here, and right here on this platform, I, I stood up to preach this sermon. And uh, yeah, I thought, well, this is really, this is going pretty well. And at one point during the preaching of the sermon, I looked down, and Ed was sitting right here in the front row, uh, and he had his head bowed, and his, hand, his head was in his hands, and I thought, man, this is a great sermon, like it's even getting to Ed. <laughs> the next morning... Uh, Ed met with Lisa and I, my wife and I, in his office downstairs, and he looked at me across his big desk, and he said, that was probably the worst sermon I have ever heard. (laughs) Then he said, I don't think you're cut out to be a preacher, but we agreed to hire you, so... We'll figure out something for you to do. Right, Jim? We just, we'll figure out something for you to do. A few years later, when Ed supported me to be the senior pastor of this church where he had been the pastor, we had a good laugh together that the church must have low standards for preaching. Uh, but Ed, my friend, I have good news for you. I'm not going to preach this morning but I am going to talk about love. Romans 8 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he also called Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. The reason that we can celebrate that Ed is in glory today is because God's word promises 
that those who are called end up glorified. When Ed was 11 years old, in his bedroom in Belfast, Northern Ireland, Ed Dobson heard God calling him to salvation, and he accepted. Ed's dad had been a pastor, but having a dad for a pastor doesn't make someone a Christian. In fact, sometimes it makes it harder. But on that day when he was 11 years old, Ed became what he would be for the rest of his life, a follower of Jesus. Jesus called Ed by name, and Ed responded. Not long after that, when he was 14 years old, Ed immigrated to America, enduring some of the difficulties that go along with such a transition during that age. In fact, the first time Ed was introduced to the game of baseball, he ran the bases backwards and ended up breaking his wrist. He did, however, come to know the game of baseball well enough that later on, when another intern asked Ed, so Ed, what'd you think of my sermon? I really hit it out of the park, didn't I? Ed responded, "Mm, more like a weak grounder to first. (laughs) Ed graduated from high school in Pennsylvania at 16. His great intelligence evident even then. That God-given intelligence would take Ed through Bob Jones and then on for a doctorate at the prestigious University of Virginia, followed by an incredibly influential season at the then-fledgling Liberty University. But it was during his time at Bob Jones that Ed heard God call him to two things, to preach and to marry Lorna. Lorna, as you said, you had been praying for a long time that God would give you a man who loved God. Yet, as you said, during that time, Ed was struggling with his faith, even though he was already preaching. But despite those doubts, or more likely because of them, Ed ended up as a man who dearly loved Jesus. And so God answered your prayers and gave you 43 years together as husband and wife. You were perfect for him, and he was perfect for you. This was all part of God calling Ed to himself. Ed's motto was, preach the word and love people. What was left unsaid in the motto was Ed's motivation for preaching and loving people. It was because of his love for God. That's what made him so good at sharing the gospel with people. That's what caused him to respond when a wife at a little Baptist church in Virginia that Ed was ministering at asked him to go and visit her very difficult husband. Her husband was a mean and ornery moonshiner. And when Ed showed up to visit him, he was sitting on his front porch with a shotgun across his lap not very interested in hearing about Jesus. But Ed shared with him the gospel that day. And the man came to faith. And not only did he come to faith, he opened the door for many other outcasts in that community to come to know the love of Jesus. This was just the first of many, many experiences where God used Ed to reach those who were marginalized, to reach those that society had forgotten about, to reach those that no one bothered with anymore. But he did this because he loved God. God called Ed according to his purposes, and Ed responded by loving the Lord. Well, if that's the case, you say, 
Why did Ed die of ALS? Such a brutal and difficult disease. I remember perhaps 13 years ago going with Ed to visit a man named Steve who had ALS. He was in the last stages of the disease. His wife had abandoned him. He was all alone in a hospital room, typing out single sentences with his eyebrow attached to a computer because that was the last muscle that he could move. I held it together long enough for the two of us to get out of the room, and then I completely lost it. Unthinking, I blurted out, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And then I looked at Ed, who was carrying that very same disease. Ed, I said, I'm so sorry. I I don't know what I was thinking. Typically gracious way, he said, that's okay. We came here to show this man love. And because I thought it was important to face the future that was coming for him. But if God loved Ed and God had called Ed, why did he allow him to die from such a difficult disease? Romans 8 continues. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him Freely give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. There were many difficulties in Ed's life besides just ALS. Immigrating to the U.S. in high school was hard. Dealing with legalism in some of its worst forms was hard. Living a life ministering to others was hard. Being a public figure was hard. But the hard things of life are not a sign of God's disfavor. They are a sign that we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. Sin creates suffering and death. And therefore to rescue us from sin and death, God had to have Jesus suffer a more horrific death and living hell than even ALS. Because of this, all who truly follow Jesus will follow him in his suffering. And Ed did this. But Ed continued to struggle with such questions. And for those who have read his books or watched his videos, you know the honesty with which Ed faced these difficult questions. But such questions are not the end of the story. Because Romans 8 ends with these words. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what Ed went through, God's love never deserted him. And God's love never failed him. For example, one of the most significant ways that God's love sustained Ed and allowed him to be more than a conqueror was how you, Lorna, carried him on this journey. You were and have been an expression of God's love to Ed. Ed didn't die alone in a hospital room because you stayed with him. I know that it wasn't easy. I know that he wasn't always the ideal patient. But your faithfulness and suffering for him was an expression of God's love for Ed. And I know that it wasn't just through ALS. You made a lot of sacrifices for him throughout his life and his ministry. And when we celebrate what God did through Ed, we are celebrating what God did through you for us too. Daniel, you were also an expression of God's love to your dad. I'd love to spend time with you. Whether it was to go bowling, which apparently he hated, (laughs) or to go on long hikes with you, no one could make Ed laugh the way that you did. You cared for him at the end of his life, and your service to him was God loving him through you. Heather, you too were an expression of God's love for your dad. Seeing you get married and knowing your children, they were blessings beyond measure for Ed. He loved to talk about you. Being with you through good times and bad times was a gift to him. Kent, the same is true for you. Some of the most common words out of Ed's mouth were, Kent says, or Kent thinks. It was beautiful to see how much he as a father paid attention to everything you said. He loved being a grandfather and interacting with you and Mandy and your children. You were all expressions of God's love to Ed to sustain him through the difficulties of life. Of course, there were more friendships, generous people, those who lived in community with him, those who served him and worked alongside of him, encouraging and grateful people. But more than all the rest put together, God expressed his love to Ed in and through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God has given Ed freely all things. Death has not been victorious because it has been swallowed up in God's love. None of the successes or failures of this life will be the final word about Ed Dobson because nothing can separate Ed from God's love for him expressed and carried out through Jesus Christ. And so we gather here this morning to remember and thank God for a man who was called by God and loved by God and as a result touched untold numbers of people with the love of God. As a result, Ed Dobson is at this moment basking in the blessing of being totally and completely loved by God for all of eternity. But if I've learned anything from Ed, 
I've learned that his funeral service cannot end without me telling each of you that God loves you in the same way. God is calling you to accept his love expressed to you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what kind of doubts you have. All who are loved sometimes doubt it, Ed included. It doesn't matter what kinds of sins you've committed. Ed's sins were beyond number. It's because we are such sinners that God expressed his love for us in and through Jesus. It doesn't matter how much of an outcast you think you are. Outcasts are the exact people that God most wants to give his love to, as Ed taught us over and over again. It doesn't matter how far you've strayed, how much you've suffered, how long you've been away, or how hard this is for you. God loves you totally and completely. Nothing you can do, nothing that can be done to you, will ever separate you from the love of God in Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, when we were still sinners, you demonstrated your love for us in that Christ died for us. God, you demonstrated your love in calling Ed Dobson to be your child, in giving him eternal life, in using him to bless all who are in this room and so many more. And so, God, we gather here at the end of this service to say thank you to you. Thank you for loving Ed. Thank you for placing within him a love for you and a love for people. Lord, we are all blessed because of what you've done. And Jesus, we ask that as you are lifted high in Ned's life, you would be lifted high in his death and so that his legacy would be what it was through his whole life, that as a follower of Jesus, he is still pointing people to you. And Jesus, we look forward to the day when you will return and those who are dead in Christ will rise and we will be together with you forever. May you receive all praise and honor and glory. Amen. Eddie loved the great uh, hymns of the church. And uh, especially those who who spoke of assurance and hope. And one of his favorites is written 147 years ago by a man who had experienced immense tragedy in his life lost five of his children in just a few short months. But in spite of it all, the man wrote this, when peace like a river attends my way and when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We're going to sing that. This is Eddie's favorite Favorite, favorite hymn. Now, if you want to sing uh, out of the hymnal at 705, that'd be a nice thing. Some of you could get a little harmony going. It'd be a good moment. So let's sing. It is well with my soul. When peace, sing. When peace,
that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. That should help your heart this morning. It surely should. Sing the next verse. My away and just say get us in the gate here we go seated for just a moment. At this point, I'd like to invite Lorna uh, and the family to be dismissed. It's not possible for Lorna and the family to be able to thank each one of uh, you personally for being here, but on behalf of the family, I would like to express their deepest gratitude uh, for your prayers, for your support, for your encouragement, for your love. Ten years ago, and Lorna knelt on this very platform, and they were released from their commission for Ed to be the pastor of Calvary Church. And I had the privilege of commissioning them to the ministry, the final ministry that God was going to call them to. Ed has now completed that commission 
having run the race and fought the good fight. He has now entered God's rest and rests from all his works. And so we now pronounce over Ed's life and work these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. We close the service by hearing part of St. Patrick's benediction. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen. And in the words that Ed stated every week for 18 and a half years, you are dismissed. <laughs>